So we are up to Perg Beis of Oros Torah. The topic of Perg Beis is Torah Lishma. Whereas the first chapter is entirely interested in the relationship between Torah Shavuchsav and Torah Shavuchsav. How they're similar, how they're different, how they interrelate with one another, how in exile they are separated from each other, and how in Eretz Yisrael they come back together. That is all the topic of the first parak. For those who need Chazara, look at your notes, or you could listen to the Shirim, because the Baruch Hashem recorded. Okay, so Perak Beis is entitled Torah Lishma, which means that all of the entries here are going to be, one way or another, conceptually linked to the notion of Torah Lishma. Now, I will remind everybody at the start of this second chapter, as I probably mentioned at some point before, that Rav Kook did not write the Sefer Oros Torah. What do I mean by that? Of course he wrote the Sefer Orsa Torah. What I mean by that is that he did not organize the Sefer Orsa Torah. And that his students, primarily Rav David Cohen the Nazir, and his son, Rav Tzvi Kuk, um, took notebooks filled with Rav Kuk's writing. Rav Kuk famously did not ever edit or cross anything out. He just flowed like a stream. Um, and he just had fat notebooks filled with his chidushim. And his students, um, most notably the Nazir, that's why I put him even for his own son, spent about 12 years of his life going through those notebooks and trying to organize them to one degree or another. Now, Oros HaTshuva, which is found in the same volume that you guys have over here, the five, uh, five books in one volume set. So Oros HaTshuva, the first three Prakim Rav Kook wrote himself. He referred to that as the Igeris HaTshuva. And the subsequent chapters were written through this method that I'm describing now. Or Torah, on the other hand, uh, is a compilation of the thoughts of Rav Kook from here and there. And so um, it's not as if Rav Kook sat down and wrote five, six entries about Torah Lishma, but rather the students went back and reverse engineered by finding all the places where Rav Kook wrote about these things in his other notebooks and tried to organize it so that we would have, which is why sometimes things seem a little bit repetitive it's not. I mean, I mean, it is a little bit, but it, it's usually it refracts off of itself to, to create a more full picture. And sometimes you find bleeding into from one chapter into another. So, like, here we're talking about Torah the Shema, but you'll see when we get to chapter 3 or chapter 4, he'll reference Torah the Shema, Agav, something else, and why the students felt that this belongs. Meaning he'll reference Torah the Shema as it relates to, let's say, chapter 5 is about the, the Osios HaTorah, is it the letters of the Torah. So, you know, in chapter five, you might mention about how one studies Torah, when, when one studies Torah Lishma, then they have greater access to the letters of the Torah. Uh, that might not be a direct quote from Rav Kook, but something like that, and you, you could see how it could have gone either way. Do we put this in the letters chapter, or do we put this in the Torah Lishma chapter? So the entire book comprises Rav Kook's thoughts about Torah. There's a little bit of interbleeding between, which could have been the case even if Rav Kook wrote it, but it makes a lot more sense once we understand that the students um, were taking surgically removing, you know, paragraphs from here and there in the different notebooks and, um, and putting them back together. Largely speaking, uh, let's say the largest collection of Rav Cook's thought in a semi-organized fashion is the multi-volume set called Orsa Kodesh. Um, Orsa Tshuva and Orsa Torah are like standalone works that are actually about one topic. Orsa Kodesh runs the gamut of a lot of different topics. And, um, and therefore it's a little bit more challenging. Orus HaKodesh, for sure, 
is taken from something called the Shmona Kvatsim, which means the eight notebooks, um, the eight collected writings. Subsequent to the publishing of a lot of Rav Cook's writings, I would say, you know, many years after Rav Cook passed away and these books we had available, um, they, they did publish the Shmona Kvatsim. You could buy, you can actually buy the Shmona Kvatsim as a, as a multiple volume set. Um, and see and compare that. And a lot of like the more, not modern in the sense of like modern, you know, religiously, but modern, like slightly more academic, footnoted, well-researched secondary literature on Rav Kook is involved in looking at the original manuscript and seeing the editing work that was done and sometimes making horrors about that. But by and large, uh, especially the things that, uh, like Orsa Tshuva and Orsa Torah, these things were at least partially, if not all of them, and parts of Orsa Kodesh as well, were shown to Rav Kook, and Rav Kook, even though he didn't do his own editing, he sometimes said, like, ah, this could be said like this in a way that would be less misleading, which sometimes got him into trouble, you know, um, so even the works that he wrote himself, like the Sefer Oros, which was his own pen, uh, got him into a lot of trouble because he wrote things that were easy to manipulate and to be misunderstood as being uh, overly, overly uh, cozy with the less religious sectors of, of society and saying things that are easy to misunderstand because high things are able, able to be misunderstood. So, Torah Lishma. Now, before we begin, I guess it's Chashav to note that obviously Torah Lishma is a huge buzzword, and especially in Rav Kook's time, Torah Lishma was a big buzzword, not because Rav Kook sat at the epicenter of a big machlokas between the old Yishuv and the new Yishuv, that's also true, that's true in Rav Kook in general, like between the quote-unquote uh, old, old guard of the Haraydisha population and the new guard, uh, more pioneering population. That was one place where Rav Kook sat the crossroads between two different uh, you know, sections of the Jewish people. But in addition to that, uh, Rav Kook also sat at the crossroads of the, let's say, more Hasidic and more uh, Misnagdic uh, sectors of, of, you know, within that cross-section of the religious old guard, there were those who were, who had an affinity for Hasidus, and there were those who had no patience for, for the light of the Baal Shem Tov and his Talmidim that was coming into the world. And Rav Kook both saw himself and was, in actuality, a confluence of both of those worlds. Because on the one hand, Rav Kook uh, had Hasidic leanings, not only Hasidic leanings, but he had Hasidus running through his blood. Rav Kook was a descendant, his, his mother's side was going back many generations, were Chabad Hasidim, deep and devout followers of Chabad Hasidus. And in fact, Ad if one goes to uh, Beitar of Cook Street, um, which wasn't called that when he lived there, but it's called that now because that's where he lived, and you go to Beitar so his house is set up exactly the way that it was when he was alive, remarkably, they kept it like that. And if you walk into the dining room, you will see that in the dining room there is a picture of the Balatanya in the dining room wall, and there's a picture of the Vilnagon on the dining room wall, similar to my house, um, obviously on my small level, compared to, comparing myself to Rav Kook. There is a uh, bookshelf that has both the writings of Rav Kook and the writings of Sat Rebbe on the same shelf right next to each other. So Rav Kook, in his own way, uh, in his much greater way, and being a person who was, you know, of, of remarkable... Uh, ability to synthesize these two worlds had a picture of the Baal we don't have a picture of, of the Baal Shem Tov himself so the Baal Tanya was the closest he could get and we don't have also the Magid of Ezrich and the Vilna Gon 
being these two worlds. His father, and also Rav Kook's uh, education, so his father was a Lithuanian uh, rabbi, and um, as well as his father-in-law, the Adaret, was also a, a great Lithuanian rabbi, and Rav Kook himself was a student of Volozh in Yeshiva, where Rav Chaim Brisker uh, was the Rosh Hashiva, and where the Nitziv was the Rosh Hashiva, and, um, and so he certainly was well-trained in the Misnagdic tradition, and so Rav Kook had both of these. Now, uh, my dear uh, Rebbe, Rav Moshe Weinberger, is very makbir to point out that even though, which is funny because far be it for me to disagree with my Rebbe about anything, but um, he's very makbid to say that, you know, there's, bo- there's some books that have come out in the past, I don't know, 10 years or so, maybe going uh, a little bit more than that at this point, that have attempted to reconcile the machloksim between the Baltanya and the Sefer Tanya and the Nefesh Chaim. The, the way that I heard when I was uh, around your age, the difference between the Vilna Gon's relationship with Chasidus and Rav Chaim Valozhner, his student, uh, his relationship with Chasidus is that the Vilna Gon was no never, and Rav Chaim Valozhner was no but. Right? So the Nefesh Chaim is actually an attempt at sending out a little bit of an, an arm to, to Hasidus and saying, well, here's where we can meet halfway, but like, I'm not buying into certain things, like the importance of hachana for mitzvot being more important than the actual mitzvah itself, so that it takes you five hours to prepare for davening, and you're davening after the zman tefillah, Or that if you're not davuk tashem and you're learning, and you're just stuck in the pshat in the learning, and you're just thinking about horses and mules and whatever in, Bav, in you know in Bava Basra or, or walls in Bava Basra or, or, or horses and mules in Bava Kama. So you're you know you're missing the point, and like therefore better not to learn because like you're giving Torah over to the klipa because you're just stuck in your etzadas or whatever, and you're not living with etzachayim, living with Hashem. And uh, and and Rav said, no way, not not a chance. Like the Iker job of of person is to study Torah and to, and to understand it. So, that as an example, the notion of what Torah l'shma is sat as a very strong machlokas between the Baal meaning between Chassidus and and, uh, and, and the approach of the Rechaim Velozhner, which is the approach of the Gra. And there are people who try to reconcile these and say, no, no, they're not really arguing, they're saying the same thing, and so this is the point that I was not speaking straight, that Rav Weinberger, uh, when this book came out, said it's a very fine, very nice book, but no, it was a real machlokas, and and uh, and and Chassidus was right. I mean, that's that's his. So, um, you know, I don't know if it's a generational thing. Uh, I don't say any more about that. I don't, I'm not sure. Rav, Rav Kook, at least, and, and I've heard Rav Weinberger say this also, Rav Kook would say that there is a way to synthesize the two. Maybe he just meant that this particular book didn't do it. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know how exactly to explain. Because I've heard my rabbi say that Rav Kook did synthesize these two worlds, and uh, this person did not, or, or he just wasn't so happy about the way that it was done. I'm there. I've said too much already because I don't understand what I'm saying. So, but uh, you know, to try to synthesize the world of of the Balatanya and the world of the Vilnagon is not a simple thing. I think we could say that with certainty. And uh, and Rav Kook set out to do that in this chapter, meaning. Again, I don't mean that he set out to do that in this chapter, but he set out to do that in his writing, and it comes out in this chapter that the two definitions of Torah Lishma 
which were the definitions uh, presented by the Baal Shem Tov and his students, and the Vilna Gon were at odds with each other. Es- essentially, I'll just say this back down and then we'll start the reader of Cook. Essentially, we could say that Torah Lishma for, for the Baal Shem Tov and his students is Torah Le Shem Hashchina. Meaning, what is the Komatei, the feminine of Torah Lishma? It's Torah to bring Hashem's presence down into the world. In fact, there are Svarim HaKadoshim that explain that Torah Lishma should better be read as Torah L'Shem Hey. Torah Lishma is Torah L'Shem Hey, because the Hey HaAchron of Hashem's name, which is Malchus, is the Shechina, is the final bringing of Hashem's presence down into the world. And the purpose of Torah is Torah L'Shem Hey, is to affix that final letter of Hashem's name down in the world, and that when we study Torah, it is entirely an enterprise, not in ego, and not in just understanding the, uh, the, the Maharsha, or the, or the Rashba, or the Ramban, for the sake of just understanding what, does, what do the words mean, but rather as a way of bringing the divine mind, divine consciousness into the world, and to increase the sum total of God awareness in the world. And so therefore there is the possibility, and there's the innate suspicion that any person who's just studying Torah, or certainly somebody who's studying Torah in the middle of davening, who is looking at a sefer in the middle of davening, which I've done in my life, I still say um, is, is taking the Torah and is using it for the wrong means and is not doing Torah Shema, certainly. And to the degree that a person is studying Torah in the middle of davening when they're supposed to be frontally engaging the Shekhinah, so they are, they are in grave error. And, and, and there have been great Rashi Yeshiva who look at books in the middle of davening and uh, some of them maybe have uh, an approach to that. That's L'Chathchila, that they would say. And some of them would say, oh, I'm just giving it to my Yitzhahara occasionally. You know? uh, and some of them would say, no, I'm being mechubar to the Shechina in a different way. Like I one time was during Simchas Torah with a tzaddik of, uh, of, of good name good standing, and we were diving, we were dancing by Simchas Torah, in their base medrash, we were dancing, so it was mamish, lebedek, it was really, and I saw that this tzaddik, who knows Kol Tarkula, mamish, uh, went over to, uh, it was Rabbi Avram Tzvi Kluger, and he went over to a, uh, he went over to a, to like a shtender on the side, for a second, and he picked up this like, alone parsha, you know, like, like, a, like a parsha sheet, you know, and he was like, looking at it, and he stood there, like, intently, like, looking at this part of the sheet for, like, three, four minutes, you know? And I was, every time I went around the circle, I just saw him there, he was just, like, staring at this part of the sheet. And then he put it down, and he came back to the circle, and he started dancing again. Meaning the dancing is tefillah, he's davening with Torah. But he felt that by looking at this part of the sheet, I mean, this is my interpretation of, of the event. That's, that's fair to say that my interpretation is incorrect. But he felt that he needed to reconnect himself to the osios of Torah, and whatever level that was happening, he was ingesting nutrition, you needed to, you know, like, just like it would be normal for a person who's dancing and they run out of steam and they need to go and take a drink so that they can come back and dance. He needed to go and be mechubar to the osios of the Torah in such a way that he would be able to come back and continue dancing with, uh, with, the, same, uh, with the same type of, of fervor. With the same type of, so it could be that. I'm, and, 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 and we should. We should. And the Jewish people are all... When you see a, 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 a Torah scholar uh, or a, a someone who you look up to and you see them learning in the middle of davening, so you should say, this person is doing something very holy that I don't understand. But, but that doesn't mean that we should be learning in the middle of the 
I could say that myself that I'm giving into Yitzhahara if I look something up in the middle of davening, or I'm feeling lachatz, I have to do a class afterwards and I have to look up this thing or whatever it is, right? But but that doesn't mean that every time we see a tzaddik looking in, the, in, a, in a Gemara for a person who's sitting and learning, you know, the sixth farm out in the middle of Lichadodi and they're like, Again, I'm not asking us to judge tzaddikim or people who are greater than us, but but I've seen such things and I don't I don't look favorably upon that activity in general. And we shouldn't because Torah is l'shem hey. It's for bringing the Shekhinah down and certainly Torah shouldn't be done at a time when we're literally bringing the shem hey. We're doing malchus tefillah, malchus peh of, of tefillah. Torah l'shma, Torah l'shma uh, in the tradition of of Rav Chaim Velazhner and the, the Mesnagdik tradition, the Lithuanian tradition, although this idea appears in Sefer Chassid as well, like the Svas Emes writes this exact interpretation, that Torah Lishma, well again, Svas Emes was a very Lithuanian style Chassidus, very, they wrote commentaries on the Shas, but certainly he understood and bought in, drank the Kool-Aid of Chassidus very strong. But the Svas Emes writes, and this is, I think, indicative of the Lithuanian tradition, that Torah Lishma should be understood as Torah, and I'll, I'll try to fill in other ways of reading these two very nuclear words of Torah Lishma. What does it mean, Torah Lishma? So Torah Lishma means Torah for the sake of its name. Meaning, what does Torah mean? What does what does the word Torah mean? What is the shorish of the word Torah? What is Torah? Torah Hora Hora It means law, right? The first Rashi in Chumash. Why does the Torah start with Bereshit Be'elokim? It should start with Achodesh Zelchem because after all, the Torah is a law book. Start with the first law. So Torah Lishma means Torah for the sake of its name. Meaning Torah as a law book. Torah as a means of understanding what to do. Like the Shlach Kodesh referred to the Torah as a letter from the king documenting our responsibilities to him. Torah Lishma in the Lithuanian tradition is Torah for the sake of understanding it and for no other reason. Not for the sake of clinging to Hashem, not for the sake of becoming a rabbi, not for the sake of becoming holy, not for the sake of having other people, you know, give you respect. Torah Lishma means Torah for the sake of knowing what the Torah means. And that's it. This is not about Dveikus Lashem. And if it was, said the Nefshachayim, and Shar Dalit of Nefshachayim, Right? This is what he explains there in Shardalad. If the Torah is about Dveikus Bashem, then we shouldn't be learning Kedushin this year. We should be just studying Tehillim every single day. He says there's no greater text of Torah that brings a Jew to a state of Dveikus than, than, than Tehillim. The Tehillim of David Melech are Mole Dveikus Bashem, yearning This is what we should be saying all day, just repeating the Tehillim all day. However, the fact that that's not what we're supposed to be doing, we're supposed to be doing more than just saying Tehillim all day, indicates that Torah Lishma means that we need to understand the Torah. There's something intrinsic about understanding what it means to be Makabal Kedushin, Midin Arev, or Midin Eved Kanayini, or any of the other Sugyas that we're learning, or what it means for an Adam Chashuv to receive the Kedushin from the woman and there to affect the Kedushin. Whatever it is that we're learning Kedushin, understand that, and you are tapping into the mind of God even if God's name is not mentioned once. And so that's a, obviously a very big machlokas. Should we be primarily be focusing on the act of Dveikos Vashem, Torah the Shem Hei, for bringing God consciousness into the world? 
or is it Torah for the sake of understanding the Torah on its own terms? So Rav Kook, being the cross-section between these two worlds, being from a Chabad Chasidah on his mother's side and being from Lithuanian stock on his father's side and also going to Vlazhin Yeshiva, or even the Vlazhin Yeshiva, Rav Chaim Brisker, Rav Chaim Salavichik, was much more, uh, had much more affinity to the Lithuanian tradition, whereas the Nitziv was more of a Hasidic Rebbe, even though he himself was not Hasidically inclined, but he was a broader, and in fact, Rav Kook tended much more towards the Nitziv than to Rav Chaim. Dvarim Yaduim, that one of Kook used to be in Vlazhin in Yeshiva, so he would sit all day with his tefillin on, and Rav Chaim Brisker didn't like it. Ah, what is this? Uh, O'Neill. And the Nitziv, and the Nitziv said to Rav Chaim Brisker, he's Andrish. He's different. Yeah, Rav Kook is Andrish. He's different. Shachta Andrish, think different. He thinks differently, he is different. And leave him alone. And so Rav Chaim Brisker used to let Rav Kook sit. And, um, and Rav Kook was Andrish. Rav Kook was totally Andrish. He was totally different. And um, it's interesting, over Shabbos, I'll just mention this because it's important. Um, clearly, we, 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 don't, we don't pask him like this. Meaning we, our Chabura over here doesn't pask him like this. My, my, my teachers, their tradition that I received does not does not think that this is correct, but it's important to know it anyway. Over Shabbos, I was learning to say from Maisa Ish, uh, which is a seven-volume set, at least. Maybe it's more now. I have seven volumes. Of Piske uh, Dinim, and stories, and Hanhagos, and all types of... It's just like the best of the Chazanish. And so, in volume two, there in, in the section on Emuna Bitachon, somebody once asked about being a... being a... It was a book seller, like a, a bookstore owner, who asked about whether or not he could sell Rav Kook's Svart, which is a shayla for someone who lives in Bnei Brak. You know, it's not shayla by us. It's a shayla that it's a shayla, you know, by us. But uh, they asked if they could sell Rav Kook's Svart, and he said, the Svart in Halacha you could sell, but the Svart in Machshav no. So I thought that was very profound. Why? Because it's not that there's a psul in Rav Kook. If there's a psul in Rav Kook, the Chazanish would never say, you could sell, you know, I'm not going to give examples, but you would never say, you could sell the Sifrit Halacha of so-and-so that is like out, out of the box, you know, that is, you know, beyond the ken. Uh, but, you could, but just don't sell the, the Sifrit Machshava. What that indicates to me about the Chazanish's understanding of Rav Kook, which I think makes a lot of sense in light of what, Rav, you know, other Gedolim who felt, yes, the Machshava too, you know, like Rav Arya Levine and like uh, Rav Shlomo Orbach and other people who, you know, and even Rav Yashiv, a little bit different than, uh, than the Chazanish. So, um, what that means is that Rav Kook's machshava was so high that it's easily manipulated and easily misunderstood. And what Rav Kook writes in one place, that's why you should never trust anybody when they say Rav Kook says this. Because even though he does say that, I'm sure he does, he probably says the exact opposite somewhere else. And it's only through the two of those together that you could properly understand what Rav Kook is really getting at. Right, so Rav Kook says a lot of things. And so these types of Likutin books where they say, like, oh, Rav Kook you know, said this about vegetarianism or said this about, like, he did say that, but he also said lots of other things, you know? And so a person has to be careful with Rav Kook. He's very high in that way. And so the Chaznish said, the Sifri Halacha, Rav Kook is saying Psak, you know? Fine, but the Sifri Machshava, it's like, it, it's, it's similar to what, um, what the Gemara says about Rabbi Meir. We don't paskin like Rabbi Meir. Here it's talking Psak. We don't pass Megbi Meir because, because 
his chaverim were low yard l'sofdaito. They weren't able, because Rebbe Meir was just, he was too big. He was too high. Low yard l'sofdaito. They couldn't, they couldn't even argue with him. And so therefore, like, he was out. I mean, he wasn't, it wasn't a human mind. And so therefore, it was like beyond our ability to even critique. And therefore, we never pass, we don't pass like Rebbe Meir. Not never, but we don't pass like Rebbe Meir. Because low yard l'sofdaito. Okay, so Rav Kook is trying to synthesize these worlds. Do we have any time left? So, in, it's, it's 6.18. So, Torah Lishma. Inyan Torah Lishma L'Shem HaTorah. <laughs> Says Rav Kook, Inyan Torah Lishma L'Shem HaTorah. What does that sound like? That sounds like the Misnagdish approach. Okay? What is Torah Lishma? It's for the name of the Torah. Now, what does that mean, the name of the Torah? Okay, so... Now that's where the Okay, so, so we said before from the Svasemes that the name of the Torah is Hora. It's for the sake of understanding what does the Torah mean. Ki mitziyos Hashem Because the mitziyos ha-chachma. What's the mitziyos ha-chachma? The existence of wisdom, the, the, the reality of wisdom. Huratzan Hashem Yisbarach shetiyeh b'fawal. Hashem wants, Hashem's desire is that His wisdom should come to actualization, that it should be spread throughout the whole world. That people should see the world the way that He sees the world. Like the Baal Shem Tov explained, Eine Hashem el HaTzadikim, Pasuk and Telem, Eine Hashem el HaTzadikim. Simple interpretation in the shot of the Rishonim. Eine Hashem el HaTzadikim means that Hashem gives a special Hashkacha protest to Tzadikim. Right? Eine Hashem, the eyes of God, El Atzadikim, are watching the Tzadikim, making sure that nothing bad happens to them. Baal Shem Tov said, Eine Hashem El Tzadikim means that Hashem's eyes are given to the Tzadikim. In other words, the Tzadikim see the world the way that Hashem sees the world. See how that's different? Eine Hashem, El Hatzadikim could mean Hashem is watching the Tzadikim, or it could mean Hashem's eyes are the possession of the Tzadikim. The Tzadikim see the world the way Hashem sees the world. The way that Hashem sees the world, that's called Chachmas Hashem. Bereshis Barel Kimei Sashmai Misarts, Targum translates, first passing in the Torah, the Chachmasa, with Chachma Hashem created Shemaim and Aretz. The whole Tachlis Abriya, like Rabbi Nachman writes in the first Torah, and look at the Maran, that a person has to look at the Chachmas Shebechol Davar, the Seichel Shebechol Davar, Ulihit Karev El Hashem Yisbarach Ayyadei Osadavar. That a person should be able to look at everything in the world, should be able to walk by a stream, and to connect the Chachma and that thing back to Hashem. Halachic man. Rabbi Nachman. Rabbi Nachman was a halachic man. Right? Rabbi Nachman says a person should be able to look at this cup and know the Chachma Shabbadavar and look at the Chachma Shabbadavar and use this to trace back to Hashem. What's the Chachma Shabbadavar of the cup? It means understanding. What does it mean that this is a Chaf Vav Samach? Does it mean that this is a Kos, a Chaf Vav Samach? And what is the definition of a kos in halacha? In Mesech's Uktzin, or Mesech's Kalim, what defines a kli, a kos? And how do we treat a plastic cup in terms of netilas yadayim? Is that a valid for Kiddush? And knowing every single thing that's ever been said in Chachmas HaTorah about what defines what a cup is, and what is the tachlis of a cup, what is the, what is the purpose of a cup? And can I make Kiddush right out of the bottle? If I just hold the bottle like this, is that a cup or is that a bottle? Is a bottle a cup? And every question you could ever ask in philosophy or in halacha or in Kabbalah about what is the definition of a cup, 
and how a cup should be held, ideally, is all the chachma, the ratzon Hashem is Baruch Shetia befall. Hashem wants that chachma to come down into the world so that we see the world the way that Hashem sees the world. This is the most delicious existence that a person could ever imagine. It is, like again, back to what Rabbi Nachman writes in the first Torah in the Kutu Maran, it is the Or Haganus itself. The Or Haganus, which was hidden inside of the Torah, is the ability to see the world as it ought to be seen. To see the world as it ought to be seen. I'll give you a somewhat crude example. Somewhat crude example. There are certain parts of the human anatomy, I'll say a svarno, let me say a svarno, I'll couch it in a svarno. The svarno says, by the embarrassment, this one will be less crude, the, the svarno says that the, the, um, the opening of the eyes of Adam and Chava, so that they became embarrassed, so the Svarno has this lush on there, which is unbelievable, before their opening of their eyes. He says that they weren't embarrassed before. He has this lush on. He says that the Evarim that are used for reproduction and for child rearing were for Adam and Chava the same thing. Like, just like a person wouldn't be embarrassed at somebody seeing their tefillin, they wouldn't be embarrassed at these things. They were kulo. They, their relationship to those things were kulo, how ought this thing be used in the world? That's seeing the world with the Oregonos. We've mentioned many times before that why is the Oregonos called the Oregonos? What does light do? Josh, can you reach light? Hit light. Okay, without light, you can't see. When you turn on the light, turn on the light, turn on the light, you turn on the light, to the rabbi. So now I see, hmm, look, oh, I need to write something on the board. Hmm, let me see. Now I have light. I can look around. Oh, look what I found. I found a marker. And look what else. I found an eraser. And there's writing on the board. I could erase the stuff on the board. When the light was off, I didn't see the marker. I didn't see the eraser. I didn't see the board even. I didn't know what I had access to. So light, regular light, not hidden light, regular light shows me what there is in the world that I can interact with, what there is at my disposal. The Ur Haganus, like Rabbi Nachman explains in the first Torah in the Kutim Aran, the Seichel Shabachul Davar, that's Makariv, that Davar, El Hashem Yisbar, your Makariv Tashem, Al Yidei Osa Davar, tells me not what I can do with that thing, but what I should do with that thing. Good example that I always give. You walk into a room, turn on the light, oh, there's a pencil. Hey, isn't that funny? I needed to write something down. I need to sign this check so that I could deposit it in the bank account. Well, with the regular light, I see the pen that I can use to sign my check. But if I'm looking with the Chachma Shebechol Davar, if I'm looking at the Metzias HaChachma, which is the Ratzon Hashem Yisbarach Shetyeh Befoah, if I'm looking at the Seichel Shebechol Davar, to be Miskar Vashem O Davar, then I'm also asking myself, well, should I use this pen? Is that my pen? Is that what I should be using this pen for? And all types of other questions that I possibly could be asking myself about what I ought to do with that pen, not what I can do with the pen. And so the Or HaGonos shows me the hidden purpose of what everything in the world is for. And that's what Torah does. Torah is the Mitzvah HaChachma, 
which is the Ratzah and Hashem Shetei B'Fawal, V'yimetzias Yosr Nechlmadu Mu'ulu Mikol Ma'asheh Efshar This is more beloved, more delicious than anything anyone could possibly imagine. How's that song go? How's the Zusha, the Zusha song go? Ashrei Ha Ashrei Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's the, that's the end of it. Ashrei Ha It's the next word. It's not right? I don't know. Yeah. Ha Ashrei 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 That is a line from Rabbi Nachman. That's from the Kutimara. Praiseworthy is the one who is Zoche Lahargish Neimus Batora to sense the Neimus in Torah, Kiyesh Neimus Batora. That's the Iker. Kizewa Ikar. So, what's Rav Kook doing here? Even if we just do this one line today, Kavaldik. What's Rav Kook saying? The purpose of the Torah, Torah Lishma, means Torah for the sake of Torah, which means for the sake of Horah, for knowing how to live. But when a person knows how to live, when a person lives with Torah awareness, then Lekutim Aran comes in and says that the Chachma and the Seichel Shebechol Dover, which shines like the sun, the Oraganos, allows me to experience godliness in everything. If I know what the Torah expects of me, what Hashem expects of me, when my ox gores your shore, when my ox gores your ox, well then, even something so horrible and so annoying as, shoot, now we have this dead animal on our hands and I owe you money and you're upset at me and I'm upset at you, leads us to the Seichel Shebechol Davar. And that creates a world which is nechman mu'ulim kol ki'imitzideinu. The only problem of not being able to translate the Chachmas HaTorah into a lived experience of the Divine is Mitzideinu. Shemitzad hayosanu shakuim baguf. Because we are, in other words, on its own, on its own, just understanding what the Torah asks of us, knowing the Torah, the Shem Torah, the Shem Horah, should create this unbelievable pleasure of experiencing the divine every time we learn some new understanding. Like the Baal Tanya writes in the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th chapters of Tanya where he says that even if a person learns a halacha in, in, in Choshin Mishpat, where in such a case where Ruvain borrows this amount of money from Levi and such and such happens and this one swears and this one... Even if you can come up with a scenario that will never happen in the 6,000 years of human consciousness... It's still worth investigating what would the Torah say about such a thing because it, we're basically having a, a peek inside the divine mind. We're looking at what does Hashem think about this. And in doing so, we come face to face with the Melech himself, with Hashem himself. The only reason we don't experience that as an experience of a pegisha with Hashem, is because we're in the body. Is that we don't experience, we don't recognize Kol Inyan Gadol Vechozak Eloi Mitsyusa. We don't recognize just how remarkable the experience of reality itself is. Shakua in the Guf 
being shakua in the guf causes me not to understand that this cup is filled with elokus. And these glasses and this table and this computer and this body, this arm, is filled, it's all filled with elokus. And to the degree that I study Torah and I'm able to use my knowledge of Chachma in the world as a way of looking at the world and knowing not only what I can do, but what I ought to do. Which is why, by the way, you find that in the Gemara, sometimes the Gemara will say, ah, there was a certain Tana or Amor who was afraid to teach a certain thing because he was afraid that even from a halachic perspective, if a person would learn this halacha, they would use it to go against the Ratzon HaTorah. Right? I'll give you an example. Like the Gemara says in Brachos, look at the earlier generations versus our generations. We'll, we'll pause here at 6.30. That look at the earlier generations compared to our generations. That the earlier generations knew the halacha that you're not chayev in truma and meiser midaraisa until the truma enters in through the front door. Until it's roa pnei habayis. Until it sees the, the actual house. And so the later generations, when they were taught this, what did they do? They snuck the food in through the windows, through the chimneys, through the skylight, so that they wouldn't be chayv midaraisa, and they could continue to snack on it and do other things that are, when truma's only chayv midarabanan, they could continue to do that. First one of shoes. So they understood, they understood what the Ratzana Torah was. The Ratzana Torah, and this, is, and this is a delicate thing, because sometimes the Ratzana Torah is that we use kulas, and, and, and we understand. But not every single time that the Torah gives you an out are you supposed to use that out. You have to ask a Sheila Schachum sometimes, and you have to use your own Seicha sometimes, and you have to daven hard over it to know when you're supposed to use a certain Torah principle in order to... And so we see that just knowing what the Torah expects of me or what the Torah allows for me to do needs to be twinned with a certain consciousness or a desire to bring godliness into the world. And so what Rav Kook is outlining for us here, and we, we just did a first few lines, but what, what Rav Kook is outlining for us here in the beginning is that a person has to be suspect because we are embodied, we are in the guf, that we are not going to recognize the preciousness of the Mitzvah of Hashem's being here, down here in this world, and being able to be brought out through all of the different facets of what it means to be a person living in the world. And at the same time, to the degree that we study Torah and have at our fingertips a way of relating to all of reality in a divine way, we will be able, at least in potential, to fulfill the Ratzon Hashem Yisbarach, that his Metzius HaChachma should be befall, should be actualized, be brought down into this world. And so that's why the greatest tzaddikim were able to talk to anybody about anything and wanted to hear about everything, were interested in everything. Because everything is Torah. Like Rav Steinsatz once said when he was being interviewed on a radio show or on a television program, so the, the radio host said to him, "No, Rabbi, what should we talk about? And Rav Steinsatz said, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about because the Torah is something to say about everything. And I'm interested in the Torah. So you name the topic, and I'll tell you what the Torah says about it. And that's what it really means to be a true Talmud Chacham, and to really study Torah Lishma. To look at the world through the eyes of Hashem, Eini Hashem HaTzadikim, we should be zochet to synthesize these various approaches of Torah, to know what Hashem wants, because Hashem wants us to know what He wants. And in doing that, we'll be zochet to see Hashem everywhere we turn. We should be zochet immediately in our days. Amen. Amen. I'll pick up next time.